Well, we didn't get through all of our material last week, so I want to pick up for a moment where we left off. We've been talking about dominion, because dominion has been one of those words that have been creeping up in uh, media as of recent times, because uh, some of the political candidates are Christian, and they've been associated with certain ministries or churches, and so lots of new concepts have come up uh, from the media that has tried to uh, cause fear or some form of misunderstanding with regards to what's being communicated, and uh, we spent a whole Sunday series on the New Apostolic Reformation, which is one of those phrases that we tried to untangle, and now I want to talk a little bit about dominion, because dominion is one of those words that's coming up, and you're hearing people say, do you believe in dominionism? Do you believe do you believe that, that uh, Christians are to have dominion? And my answer is yes, not just because it's a good idea, but because the book says so. And I've just decided I'm going to just embrace whatever God's Word says. I'll embrace it, and, and hopefully you'll give me enough time to explain it. But if all you're going to ask me is a question and not give me any time, then I'll just say yes. I believe Jesus is the only way, yes. I believe that all of God, what God did in days past, He can do today, yes. Now, I understand there's a lot of questions, but if you aren't going to give me time to answer them, then I'll just say yes. Yes. Let your yes be yes, Paul said. So, yes. And if you want to talk about dominion, yes. We're to exercise dominion. The question is, what does God mean by that? Not necessarily what Newsweek or Time Magazine or the Huffington Post mean by that. So, we've been talking about it. I told you that the Bible is a handbook. Uh, 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 for our life. It's an owner's manual. If we function according to the owner's manual, things tend to work better in our life. Uh, Indeed, we are called to be long-suffering. We're called to be compassionate. We're called to be patient and extending. These are characteristics of God Himself who dwells in us. And that's why Jesus would look and He would say that there are moments you're going to have to turn the other cheek. There are moments you're going to have to go the extra mile. There are moments you'll not only have to uh, give your shirt, but you'll have to give your coat also. And so we understand that there are times we are sacrificial and we are extending and, and we are the ones that are, uh, uh, you know, so to speak, to be, to be the yielders in situations. But having said that, uh, God also says that we're to exercise dominion. In other words, we aren't called to be doormats. I believe that I'm to turn the other cheek, but that doesn't mean people get to wipe their shoes on my esteem and, 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 and violate, uh, violate me as a human being or a person. I mean, I've often said the Bible says to turn the other cheek. It doesn't say keep turning cheeks. So, uh, you know, I don't know that I want to make too big of a sermon out of that. But, uh, I mean, I have a cheek to turn and, and I will turn it. But you keep slapping me and you may get the passage that talks about self-defense and, uh, after, after a while. So, so we're really talking about how we're to influence. The Bible says that we're to be the head and not the tail. We're to be above and not below. Deuteronomy 28, those first 12 or so verses are great verses that sort of illuminate some aspects of dominion. It says that we're to lend and not borrow. That we were people who were to be exalted and promoted because we were to influence in the earth for the cause of the kingdom. And I hope you realize that one of the reasons we celebrate the Christmas season with the coming and the birth of our Lord 
is not only for the reason that we needed a Savior, we were in a predicament, none of us want to go to hell, and so he provided the way that we could go be with him in heaven for eternity. That is one of the reasons. But another reason that Jesus came and incarnated himself, God incarnated himself in human flesh. You do know Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's not half and half. It's the mystery of the incarnation. He's fully God and fully man. And there are times as we look at his life, we see the God part, and there are times we see the humanity part. And so that's always a challenge to figure out which one's working at the moment. But the, one of the reasons he came in this form was that he had to step back into human existence as the second Adam in order to reverse and restore and regain back that which was lost by the first Adam. So what Adam lost in the garden, Jesus came back to recover. And the good news is he not only recovered it, he secured the victory. It says in Colossians 2.15 that it says that he disarmed all powers and principalities, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over all of them. He rules. And because he rules and is now an heir, we've become heirs with him or joint heirs. He lives inside of us. You understand, this is the king of kings lives inside of here. And, and it's his dominion. It's his rule, but his rule is expressed through joint heirs, fellow heirs, lives. And so uh, a part of the reason we celebrate Christmas is because, it's because God sent his son in order to redeem back that which was to be ours in the beginning. So that's good news, isn't it? I mean, it's, if, if that's why he said, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. Set captives free. Open up the prisons. I mean, he's, he says, I, I, I've, come to, I've come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It's a dawn of a new day. And that can happen in all of our lives, and he wants that to happen. But the question is, why hasn't it happened? And a lot of times... We go back to the verse that says, My people perish for lack of knowledge. And hell has opened wide its throat. That, I, 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 I want to say that's a great verse, but it's really not that great when you think about it. My people perish for lack of knowledge. And hell has opened wide its throat. What that means is, is that our ignorance has caused us to be swallowed up in an existence that's hellish. How do you change that? Well, you change that by gaining understanding. Understanding, hopefully, will translate into application and action. So that's why we're talking on this subject. So I titled it tonight, and we're really finishing up where we left off our last Wednesday. How then are we to rule? How then are we to rule? I want to read to you again Psalm uh, chapter 8, and it's a great psalm. I love it. Uh, this is what I want to read, beginning in verse 3. It says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him, meaning man, that's you and me, a little lower than, the actual word there is Elohim in the plural. It's translated in the, in the New King James Version as a little lower than the angels. Some versions actually say a little lower than God. 
That's Elohim is usually translated God. It's the word oftentimes used for rulership, Elohim. There are multiple names for God. You know, Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai. Then there were the Yahweh derivatives, Yahweh Sidkenu, Yahweh, you know, Yahweh Rapha, God my healer, God my banner, Nisi. So there were compound names, many names for God in the scripture. This was Elohim. Uh, it says you made him a little lower than the angels or a little lower than, than God himself. And you've crowned him with glory and honor. Talking about how, he, how he's crowned his creation with glory and honor. And then it says in verse 6, amazing words, you have made him to have what? See, it's in the Bible. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So it doesn't matter what you're facing, what circumstance you're in. It doesn't matter where you find yourself tonight. You've been created by God to stand above that. All the sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. That's pretty amazing. We are to have dominion. Now, as you will recall, I mentioned this to you out of Genesis 1, 26 through 28. We're not going to read this. I'm just going to do this real super fast. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, we saw four things that God originally told uh, to Adam as to how he would exercise dominion. So four things that are related to dominion. Number one, as you will recall, he said to be fruitful. Being fruitful means to become productive. We're going to come back to this concept. Do you understand that, that God has created us that if you and I will work and be productive, we will exercise dominion. Now, I'm going to come back to this, but, but it's just in me just to share this with you. That you have you ever worked in a, in a place, and hopefully this is you, you've worked in a place and there was somebody at that place that, that worked harder than everybody else. They were the worker. Hopefully that may have been you. And have you ever noticed that uh, sometimes co-workers will come up and they'll go, Hey, quit working like a madman, man. You're making the rest of us look bad. Has that ever happened? I mean, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Because their work, their work is literally setting a temperature in that workplace that's causing other people who don't want to work that hard to look bad. And so they're actually wanting to drag them back down to their mediocrity. Why is that? Because they understand that if you just work diligently, you will be promoted. If you work diligently, you'll be lifted up. You say, well, I could work hard for my boss and he'd never promote me. Hey, listen, then God will see your work and he'll pull you out of there and promote you somewhere else. All right. So that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about dominion, just hard work. Be fruitful, become productive. Number two, multiply, expand yourself. And whatever you do, do it excellently. You know, you do things excellently, you'll, you'll never be unemployed. If you do things excellently. I mean, you, you understand, anybody can hire shabby. Tacky, that's not hard to hire. But excellent, that's why Daniel hung around so long in Babylon. Number three, to replenish, to fill up your surroundings. You're not just a taker, but you leave value where you go. You are of value to whatever it is you're involved in. And then lastly, subdue. 
to manage then and to order your success. This isn't just anarchy. This is, this is, there's some management. And, and these are the initial concepts that God gives to Adam and says that if you'll adhere to these things, you'll begin to exercise influence or dominion in, in the garden. That's where he was first. He was in a garden. And by the way, is it not interesting that before God gave them the world, he gave them a garden. And he said, let's see if you can rule in the garden and then we'll see if I'll give you the world. Some of you are in very small gardens right now. And God's watching to see if you can exercise dominion in your very small garden. Because he's not going to throw you the keys to the world until you drive your garden right. And that's how dominion works. Okay, so we talked about that last week. Now, I left off seven things that I want to share with you as to how this rulership begins to manifest. I want want to be just a little bit more detailed. I decided on these Wednesday nights I'm going to be a little bit more methodical. Uh, Just lately, I've just just wanted to blow the dust out of my brain. Has your brain ever got dusty? You get older, it gets real dusty. I mean, real dusty. So I've been trying to blow the cobwebs out and just... Because the, the Bible says, Jesus says, that we're to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and what? All thy mind and all thy strength. And so we got to give him everything we got. When we're worshiping God, we got to give him everything we've got. You know, give him my passion. But there are moments that it's good for us to give him. Give him our mind and let our mind be renewed and let it be established. And there are There are some things that I just want to share. I'm going to be a little bit more methodical at this. And so just hang tough with me, all right? Because the coming weeks on Wednesday night, we're going to give you lots of practical things. But just be methodical with me for just a moment. Seven things that I want to show you how this rulership manifests. How then do we rule? How then do we rule? Number one, you may want to write these down. This list is a good refrigerator list. Or, or a bathroom mirror list as you get out of the shower and you're getting ready in the morning and you're doing, you know, ladies, you're doing your hair and your face and guys, you're shaving. And just to have it hanging there to remind you, how then do we rule? Number one, as an heir and joint heir with Christ, we possess all things necessary for our abundance and well-being. Hey, Jerry, do we have those verses? Can you... Put up Romans 8, 17. It says, and if children, then heirs, talking about us, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Do you understand that you are partners, fully invested partners with Jesus? That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? In other words, whatever he has, you have. Whatever he gets, you get. Wherever he stands, you stand. You're an heir of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And then 1 Corinthians 3.21, it says, Therefore, let no one boast in men for all things. You see that again? For all things are whose? You ever read those little verses and you just kind of skip by them? For all things are yours. Next verse. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, All are yours. Because God has all things at his disposal. We're heirs with him. 
That means all is available to be used for kingdom purposes. Everything in your life, everything you see, everything in the earth, all of it was designed in Colossians 1, 16 through 18. It says that everything was designed to give preeminence to him. And sometimes I'll just go down the road and I'll start looking at everything that's in the earth. And even I'll look at this mall sometimes. I'll drive up and I'll say, Lord, that mall was created in order to give God glory. You know, that's one of the reasons he put us in here. Now, we may not own the whole mall, but he put us in this mall so that there could be a sound of his glory that would come from the mall. You got you to gotta think that. Why did he put you where you work? It's because he wanted glory to make a sound out of that place because all things were designed to give glory to him. For kingdom purpose. Not for selfish purposes. Kingdom purposes. Now think about this. And I'm just being light here, so don't get, don't get real serious on me. But think about your heathen friend. Does your heathen, heathen friend have this at his disposal? No, they don't. All things are at our disposal. We are joint heirs. We possess all things. They are linked to the world's economy and the world's way of doing things. Do you understand? You and I are linked to the one who owns all things. That's how we rule. My heathen neighbor may be richer than I am, but his riches are tied to an economy that is failing. The kingdoms of this world, the scripture said, are deteriorating. I am linked to an economy that will never fail. That's how I rule. So you may get the Lexus today, but one of these days, I'm going to get to rule the whole thing. Number two, how then do we rule? All things in nature and in history are being used for our good. What does it say in Romans 8, 28? It says this, and we know that all things work together for good. Now, not for everybody. You understand, all things don't work together for good for everybody. It says all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's who it works out good for. So if I love God and I'm called according to his purposes, it means this, that no matter what comes my direction, it's being, it's being used for my good. Not for my demise, not for my destruction. It's being used for my good. 1 Peter 3.13 says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Do you understand what Peter was saying there? He's saying, what can they do to you? Which is why Paul would later say in Philippians, he said, for me to live is what? Christ and to die is? Think about that. You're in Nero's prison. You're in there because you've irritated Nero and the whole Roman Empire because you've been preaching the gospel and people are converting and they no longer believe that Caesar is God, but now they exclusively believe Jesus is Lord. So you get yourself thrown into a prison They're wanting you to recant your faith. And so they're putting the pressure on you. They're putting the heat on you. And and they're telling you to recant or you're going to get your head cut off or you're going to be tortured in some incredibly despicable way. And they look at you and they tell you to recant. And they say, if you recant, we'll let you go. And he looks at them and says, well, if you let me go, for me to live is... So if you let me go... I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Then they look at him and say, well, then if that's the case, we're going to kill you. Well, 
For me to live is Christ and to die is... Thank you very much, Nero. You send me on to my heavenly reward. And not only that, but when others hear about how I died, it will empower them to live even more for my Lord. Is that not the most frustrating person you could have ever met? It's like, what do I do with the dude? If I let him go, he keeps doing what he's been doing that got him in here in the first place. And then if I kill him, it's as if it just emboldens the whole movement even more. And he's happy to put his head down on the chopping block. Why? Because all things work together for our good. That's why death, folks, has lost its sting for us. That is why we can live with abandonment. That is why we can live in such a way that we don't have to fear what they will do to us because if you kill me, I get my eternal reward and eternity is a lot longer than the 80 or 90 or 100 years I get here. All things are working together for my good. And one of these days I'm going to pull it out on you and you aren't going to know what hit you. The day I pull out and I say, I want to talk to you today on a topic that I, I called I don't have to survive. I don't have to survive. Because everything's working together for my good. Isn't that good news? That's why this stuff's good news, man. I know you guys have faced tough times. Some of you have testimonies that I've heard about your tough times. And we could all share and write down and commiserate together about all of our tough times. But can I just share this with you? I don't care what your tough time is. It may be hard and it may be difficult, but it's working for your good. See, I was kicked out of a denomination and I didn't know what I was going to do. I had my retirement stripped away from me. I had $300 in my pocket. Where was I? What, what good could come of this? Well, I'll tell you what good came of it. I got filled with the Spirit. I was forced to trust God. He did miracles for me. He opened doors. He met needs of my family. Yes, it was hard, but ultimately it was good. Come on now. I've had broken promises made to me in my life. It was, is it hard? Sure, it's hard. But sometimes I, I look at broken promises and then think what would have happened if they would have been fulfilled and I want to say, boy, wasn't that good? You've been through hard times. If you'll press through a few hard times, and some of you could testify to this, you've pressed through your hard times. Well, a few of you could maybe, because, because if you don't get this perspective, you will live forever in the injustice and the unfairness of your hard time. And it will become a ball and a chain to you. It will become a prison to you that you will forever look back and pine for and wonder what if. And wish it turned out different. Where God's saying to you, if you'll just let it go, you'll just forgive, you'll trust me and go on. I'll cause all things to work together for good. If you love me and you're called according to my purposes. See, bad things will happen, but the good news is I rule over all these things. Because no matter what you throw at me, God will cause good to come out of it. Isn't that right? Lose your leg, Jim. And God will cause good to come out of it. See, I rule. That's, that's how dominion works. Number three, I got to hurry. Wow. We got to realize that Christ will use no other earthly instrument to propagate the gospel, which brings true victory and lasting peace other than the church. 
In Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3, it says, Arise, shine, the light has come, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Verse 2, darkness shall cover the earth, deep darkness the people. Isn't that true today? In fact, that word deep darkness means gross darkness. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. Verse 3, the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings will come to the brightness of your rising. Go to the next chapter of Isaiah. It says this, and they shall rebuild, meaning you and me shall rebuild the old ruins. We'll raise up the former desolations. They'll repair the ruined cities, the desolation of many generations. You see, as the church, we have the only answer that will ultimately work in people's lives. Isn't that true? There's no other answer. There's no answer coming from the White House. There's no answer coming from Congress. There's no answer coming from Columbia. We folks are the church and we've got the only answer. The only answer. Don't be ashamed of it. It is the only answer. He is. So I was thinking as I was reading not too many weeks ago about the whole hoopla with Boeing coming to our area. And I'm glad Boeing has come and I'm glad Boeing has produced uh, jobs for people. And there's nothing wrong with that. And everybody is clapping because the economy moves a little bit. The low country gets a little bit better. Can I just share this with you? We're more important than Boeing. Boeing can pack up and leave tomorrow. And Charleston will go on. But if the church left the low country tomorrow, it would collapse. Now, I I get it that the world doesn't get that. But that doesn't make what I just said any less true. Number four, I got to hurry. Because we rule because we have unlimited resources and powers in Christ. We are more than conquerors over every foe. Romans 8, 37. Yet in all these things, it says, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. 1 John 5, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Verse 5, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. We have unlimited resource and unlimited powers in Christ. Who else can say that but the believer? This is why we rule over all things. Now, I understand we, don't, we think we have to have all the money and all the position and all the power in order to affect change. No, you don't. You, Jesus had none of that, and he has affected the greatest change this world has ever known. And he lives in you and he lives in me. That's how we rule. I don't have to have millions of dollars stashed in the bank to feel content, fulfilled, and safe, and anxious-free. Because Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Foxes have holes and birds have nests. Look at the lilies of the field. They aren't consternating over everything. You'll make it. You'll be all right. That's how we rule. Number five, by understanding that there can be no stable, righteous, peaceful government except as it is administered by true Christian people. Proverbs 29.2 says this, when the righteous are in authority... The people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Hey, Jerry, take it back so they can write that down. That was Proverbs 29 2. When the righteous ruled, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the nation groans. So I say this unapologetically. True Christians need to run this nation, they need to run the city, they need to run the state. There's no ambiguity here. Not from my voice. 
It's not my opinion. It's what the Bible says. So we've got to watch their fruit. I don't care what anyone says. We are culturally just like Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and Afghanistan and Syria and Turkey and all these other countries are culturally Muslim. America is culturally Christian. It doesn't move me one bit to hear someone say, I'm a Christian. That's like saying, you know, you know, I'm just, I'm a human being. All right? There's got to be fruit. Now, I realize no one's perfect. No one will ever be perfectly consistent. But there must be fruit. So we rule. We have a, an ability to rule because nations will not work until righteous people are put in places of authority. It's true all through the scriptures, is it not? That when righteous kings ruled over Israel, Israel prospered. But when unrighteous kings ruled over the nation, Israel went down the tubes. Now folks, there's a precept there that we need to get a hold of. We need to begin to see that that we need to watch people's fruit, listen to their testimony, and make sure that that the fruit of, of, of their relationship is there. And I just put things down here. I just put, I want to know, I want to know how they stand on abortion. You can't be privately against abortion, but politically neutral or pro-choice. That baby in the womb does not give a rip what your private views are. It wants to know what your legislative views are because its life is dependent on how you vote. We can't have people that violate clear teaching. Now, I understand there's always going to be room for a little debate within the house but there needs to be a clear declaration about the place of the lord in their life and i'm just telling you i'm watching i'm watching political candidates i'm watching our governor i'm watching all of our representatives and i'll tell you what i'm watching for i'm watching for some fruit let me see your fruit jesus said you would know them by their fruit don't you listen to what they say you watch how they live and we'll find out whether it's true or not Say, well, isn't that judging? No, I'm being a fruit inspector. And sometimes we see rotten apples, and you just need to note that. Number six, how do we rule? By having access at all times to the presence of God, who is higher than any king or government. That ought to make the rulers of this world shake. One sentence ought to make governments just stop and go, oh my, when we say these words. We're going to prayer. We're going to prayer. Because the minute the church begins to pray, we access God who stands above everything. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Revelation 1 and 6, it says that he has made us, what? Kings and priests to God. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we respect earthly authority. We obey earthly authority in as much as they do not violate the scripture however we have access to the one who stands over everything we're in the family of god i have a dad i have a dad that can reach into the hearts of men 
I have a dad of whom it is said that he holds the hearts of kings in his hand. You understand? That's, that's who we have. You understand? We didn't vote him king. He's always been king. There's no votes on him. That one's settled. He shall forever be a king. Even after America is a footnote in the annals of history, Jesus will still be king. And we can access him 24-7. Isn't that cool? I rule. Mess with me. You mess with me and I'll pray. I'll pray his word. And we'll see what happens. Doesn't it just hearing me say that, doesn't that kind of like put the fear of God in you? Imagine, I'll pray. Just bring it on, I'll pray. Number seven. As intercessors, we plead before God on behalf of men and have confidence that those prayers can control the winds, the rain, the elements, all the potent forces, forces of this world, and even the powers of wicked men and nations. Jeremiah 1.10. Listen to what Jeremiah says. The Lord's speaking to him. It says, See, I have this day set you, talking to Jeremiah, over the nations. One guy over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Leap to verse 18. It says, For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against the priests, against the people of this land. Next verse. They will fight against you but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. You know, that was, that was, I think that's Clint Eastwood stuff. You know, that's make my day kind of stuff right there. Matthew 7, what does it say there? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Next verse. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, it will be open. You understand that? You, you rule. And then James five seventeen. look at this. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Verse 18, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. How do you rule? You get in your prayer closet and get on your knees and you begin to seek God. And, and I'm telling you, there is nothing that is not at your disposal. Who can stop wars? Really? Do armies stop wars? No. Praying can stop wars. We've just never done it like we've needed to do it. Who can turn hurricanes back out into the ocean? Who can change the course of history? Have any of you here ever read the biography or, yeah, it's a biography by Norman Grubb on a man by the name of Reese Howells? Have you, some of you have read that? Reese Howells was an intercessor, actually started a Bible school that really revolved around intercession. And Reese Howells, historically, was credited for turning the tide in wars during World War II. They believe it was his praying that gave the, uh, the Allies victory on D-Day at the beaches of Normandy. They believe that it was his prayers that helped establish the nation of Israel. If you've never read that book, you ought to read that book. 
and see how all of that providentially worked together. And that Reese Howells, who developed this, this uh, intercession, he learned intercession by the Spirit. And, and he was credited by his intercession, as well as those who would join him through his Bible school. He was credited with breaking the hold of the dictators that were over Europe at that time. You understand Mussolini and Hitler. He, he was credited for breaking the strongholds and the powers. And all of it, he was doing it for world evangelization. He believed that the wars were occurring in order to soften the hearts of people, in order that evangelization could take place. Do you understand? One guy on his knees exercised dominion. Let me tell you something. Why, you, you know why the enemy wants to keep you off your knees? Do you know why sometimes it's just hard to pray? Do you, do you understand why? Because if you really got serious about it, and, and you really just said, I'm going to make this a priority in my life, you'd begin to take back all the things that have been stolen from you. I've often wondered, and, I, and again, I, I, I say this with a sense of balance. So, you know, as I'm saying these things, keep in mind that Pastor, you know, he's, he's, he's making a generalization and kind of wanting to just say something to seed you. But I understand that in church life there are lots of things that need to take place that are valid and scriptural and important. But I've often wondered, I've often wondered what God would do if a congregation would just take up the admonishment or the exhortation or the challenge to just say, let's build a work by doing nothing but getting on our knees. Could it be done? Just getting on our knees. Doing what the Bible says to speak to the east and the west and the north and the south. And to say, loose your hold and let them come. I wonder. I wonder. We don't do that today, do we? No, we market, we franchise. We do it just like the world does it. And we've probably got a lot of the world happening in our midst. If you want to see supernatural dominion things take place, you've got to understand how you rule. So when you come to the house of God, you are coming. Listen, you are coming to the hottest ticket in the city. It's in the house of God. We may never have positions of power, but that does not mean we are not through Christ always in a position of power. What the name tag on your desk says means nothing. It's the name you have written in a book in the heavens that means everything. That is why we walk in confidence. We walk in peace. We walk in joy. We walk in hope. We walk in contentment. We don't get frazzled. I understand you do and I do too. We get frazzled because we're human beings. But think about this for just a moment. Whatever comes my way, if some bad thing comes my way, really, I ought to to just say, well, you know what? That hurts me. I don't like it. Maybe it's not fair. It's unjust. But, But ultimately, God, you're using it for my good. That somehow or another, it'll be turned around so that you'll receive glory. That's why we walk with fulfillment and expectation. We walk in authority and humility and that you can be at rest. Why? It's because you have dominion. You follow me. We were a little methodical here. See, we're just, we're just scratching. Just scratching. But maybe it's good to remember this Christmas season that that's the reason why Jesus came. One of the reasons why he came was to come back and restore that to you. That's why the angel said, we have 
behold, we bring you uh, good tidings of great joy that shall be to all the people. Uh, That was an understatement, wasn't it? Amen. All right, let's stand and I'll cut you loose.